Houston Rallies is a movement created by the Lee Group, a Houston-based advertising agency, to help make a difference for the many other small businesses that are the heartbeat of our city. The Lee Group fully understands the struggles and trials involved with running a small business in one of the most competitive markets in the world. The Houston Rallies podcast, created in partnership with Radio Lounge, is a hub of information and inspiring stories directly from the small business owners that make Houston the great city that we all call home. From interviews with movers and shakers to thought pieces on best practices for advertising your business's specific services, Houston Rallies is your destination for advertising insight and inspirational ideas. My name is Mark Pereira. I'm an account supervisor at The Lee Group. We are an advertising agency here in Houston. And today I am talking with Chloe Dow. She's a very well-respected fashion designer, former winner of Project Runway, um, philanthropist, mask maker, uh, business owner. Um, She is the owner of the popular boutique, Chloe Dow. Um, And so Chloe, we're so excited to have you today. Thanks for being here. Oh, I'm so excited to be here and to be part of Houston Raleigh. I feel very honored to be um, just really in a group of really successful, but also really hustler of a small business owner. So I'm just, you know, I'm just like all of them just trying to make it work. And we are, we've been excited to talk with you. We've been, um, you know, we've been talking back and forth a little bit and, and um, we were connected through a a mutual um, contact. And so we have been very excited to kind of get to know your story because you, um, you are kind of the story that we envisioned for this entire campaign. Really, when we were thinking about this, we wanted to talk to someone who was kind of a, a self-made person, had their own business, but was also doing something directly related to the pandemic. And so we have people who have donated food and who have donated um, materials and things like that. But you took the skills that you have and you used it to to kind of help out during the pandemic. And I'm skipping ahead a little bit. We'll talk about that in a minute. But we have been very excited to, to get to know you and to to have this conversation. So we are we are pumped that you're joining us in this and we're glad you're here. Thank you. I'm excited to share my story because, you know, as a fashion designer, I don't deal a lot with life and death, even though some brides think I do. Um, but, you know, now that during the pandemic, we'll talk about it later, but it really was where there was a point where I actually never had anxiety in my life. I control stress really well. But making masks for people who were like this, you know, this will save my life. This will save my husband's life or my grandparents. It was very um, heartwarming but very anxiety driven because you felt like you really are affecting people's lives. Let's go to the beginning. So you're a celebrated fashion designer. Like I said, you're a respected small business owner. You're an avid philanthropist. How did you get to where you are today? Start with the, start with the beginning and, and talk me through how you, how you got to, to where you are now. How much time do we have? <laughs> <laughs> I talk a lot, but no, really, um, you know, I am really living the all American dream. So my family came um, to United States in 1979. And my family, it's very kind of typical Asian family. There's eight girls in my family. And then there's eight girls because in the Asian culture, boys are value more than girls. So my mom kept trying to have a boy. And then gosh, she didn't stop at number six because I'm number six. <laughs> um, so we came to United States um 78. And I was, you know, um, and my mom worked three jobs trying to like support us. Um, she worked at a seamstress at night. 
And I think um, another seamstress at a dry cleaning station. Um, and from there, I really had the all-American childhood. I went to ESL. But in junior high, I was already a cheerleader. I wrote for the school newspaper. And then I was nerdy but fashionable. I was like president of club, but I played tennis. So, um, so, but then, you know, you got to remember, I'm like 40-something, almost 50. So class of 90. And during that time before the internet, I really wanted to be in fashion. I didn't know how because it's before the era of fashion uh, of the internet. So long story short, I love telling this story. It's because I actually watched. So I just went to UVic, like all the rest of my family member, enrolled in business, going to be in accounting or some kind of business major. But I saw the movie Dead Coat Society. You know that movie? I love that movie. It's so one that, of my favorites. Yeah. So I live by the motto in that movie: was gotta do more, gotta see more, gotta be more, and. The main one was also copy DMC the moment. Um, after I watched that movie, I dropped out of UVic. I decided, okay, I'm going to be a fashion designer. It's all this is what I've always wanted to do. So I wrote an XCC. I was the only fashion program. And then I went to New York for a vacation, and I didn't come home for eight years. So I literally called my mom and dad, and that I'm not coming home. <laughs> and then I didn't come home for, I think, almost a year and a half. Um, got a job at Macy. And I knew just because of my background, just to like, when my parent came here, my mom had three jobs, but she's always been a very entrepreneurial spirit. And so she went to the food market and shop. She saw people were selling fruit cups, uh, just selling clothes. So she actually sold clothes at the food market. And that's where I got my design skill from innately. It's really from my mom. But she saw that fruit cups were making more money. And so literally, I think, I don't know when she did it. We ended up owning, she started selling fruit cups. And then in my junior high school year, we actually um, had a snack bar at the flea market. So we worked every freaking weekend since we were in junior high. Um, but from that, by high school, my family owned five dry cleaning stations. Wow. So say, so I, you know, I've actually always had my mom as a role model. What is the possibility if you work hard enough um, when you get here? And so... When I went to New York to study um, at FIT, when I told my mom to come home, I all I knew by then I always wanted to have my own business. No matter what, I'm gonna be my own. I'm gonna have my own business. So I worked in the industry for eight years, and then on my last year in 1999, um, I I said, okay, you know, it's time to have my dream. I really want to move back to this. And when I did one year of research, I was happening in the fashion scene. And in 2000, I moved back, and then it's been 20 years now. So I moved back, but I did a lot of research since I didn't come for money. I literally, when I started, I came back home at 32, lived with my mom and dad, drove my mom, my dad, old car, all you know, every penny I made, it went back into the business. I didn't pay myself for a while, which is the dumbest thing. But every every business book tell you to pay yourself first, but I'm like. Come on, like when there's no money, you're not paying yourself first. But anyway, now I'm paying myself first. Um, but and then in 2004, no, five, I try out for Project One Way because it was here locally. I watched season one. And since it was here in history, why not? I'll wake up that morning and I made a, a dress to show them I can make stuff quick in 24 hours because it's a 24 hour competition. Um, and I won. All good. <laughs> So you made you woke up to audition to try out for the show, and you woke up that morning and made the dress that you wore to try out for the show that morning. Yeah, so I can say I made this dress this morning. 
<laughs> that's fantastic. Yeah. So that's definitely, you know, I was very, I, cause I watched season one and so I'm like, huh, they have to make dress in 24 hours. And I was really honestly very hesitant, but I actually had my sister who's like, well, Chloe, you sometimes make three dresses in a day. You can do it. I'm like, oh, yeah. Um, so I really wanted to show them that I can do it. Um, so fortunately, because of my experience in New York City, I had a beautiful portfolio shot by a pretty well-known photographer that was a friend of mine that shot for the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, pretty big magazine. And so my portfolio was legit. Like, okay, this is no joke portfolio. This is a legit portfolio. I think that helped a lot too. Um, and I had a sense of humor. So once I passed first round, the thing was you have to send a video. They didn't think my collection was complete enough. They're like, Chloe, can you send a video of you, you know, making jackets and coats and like just like a little bit more of your personality. So at that point, I was working in um, my design studio. Was, I was living with my mom at that, and she wouldn't let me design in her living room. It was in the garage. So my video on VHS tape, <laughs> oh, my God, I'm dating myself. Roll up the garage and say, I'm a one-woman Asian sweatshop. <laughs> it went up and you can see the Crocs bottle because it was also like next to the like wash and dryer. Uh, so I think that actually helped me get in. <laughs> but yeah, that was my tryout video. That's fantastic. So you did, so you tried out for Project One Runway. You, you won season two. And I, I did win season two and that literally I won in, um, we filmed in 2005, but during season two, you had to go home seven months, the three top finalists, to do your final collection. Way too long. <gasps> Way too long. I mean, to run your business and keep quiet that you, you know, you're a top three is ridiculous. Yeah. Um, so we didn't air the finale to 2006. So I won in 2006, and it's been really an amazing ride. I mean, I just did. I was just a Barbie mentor just last year because of Project Runway. I've done, I was a spokesman for Dove Deodorant. I've been in the Smithsonian Museum. I mean, the things that come from, I think my biggest honor is going, um, being hired to be a Project Runway Vietnam judge in Vietnam and executive producer. That was really cool to be in front of the camera and behind the camera. Um, you know, I was lucky enough to do QVC for three years. Um, sell stuff in 1800 staples. I had my luggage, my laptop case. And I've been really, you know, I'm like nothing like rolling up in the airport with your own luggage case. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. I'm legit. I made it. Anyway. Yeah. I'm seeing your face in a Verizon, Verizon phone case. But anyway, um, so, you know, I've, I've been very, very lucky to do really, really big, big, big projects. Um, and and I don't know, sad, unfortunate, but I never even dream big. My dream has always been like to be lucky enough to do what I want to do, which is make clothes and make women feel happy about themselves. I mean, it's a very simplistic though, and that is, is through clothes. And but you know, I was literally on a podcast yesterday, and you know, I was talking with another business owner who's been around for seventeen years, and I'm in around been twenty years, and it's like. When we sell clothes, we just don't sell clothes. We are a therapist. Like, you know, there is an art to selling clothes. We are selling confidence. We're showing them how to, you know, be a better version of themselves. And sometimes that takes education, you know, and that's what we do. We just don't sell. We do a lot of educating and then we do a lot of hand holding. And, you know, we're your free therapy, really, pretty much it is. But um, I'm digressing. But yeah, I've been lucky enough to do major, major, major projects. Um, but I love that I can still be small. 
and still be consistent and really connect to the client one-on-one. Um, I, I, I love your story. I think your story is such a great story. It, it is the true American story. Yeah. Right? It's, yeah. it's, it's working hard and, and doing what you're passionate about and making it successful. Um, that's, that's really great. Um, so when you first opened your boutique, it was called Lot 8. Now it's called Chloe Dow. Talk about how'd you come up with the name Lot 8? Why'd you change it? Talk, talk me through that. Great question. So I, um, I call it Lot 8 was because there's eight girls in my family. But I really came up with the name because there was at that time, there was this club called Lot 61 in New York that was super exclusive. And be a celebrity to get in. I'm like, oh, lot 61. I'll never get in, which I never did get in. But I can name my store Lot 8. And it would make sense too. There's a lot of us, eight girls and Lot 8. So it was really, I love that name. Um, I changed the name in 2000. Um, gosh, I think maybe 15. So the recession hit around 2008 and stuff um, and 10. And then I was kind of, as a business owner, I'll be honest, I was so busy doing QVC, doing staples, running around the country, doing appearance that I did not look at the bottom line. My, you know, and at that time I had double the size of my store. My overhead was massive. I had a design studio team that employed four people at the store. I think I employed like eight people. Then I had a PR um, company that I was paying for too. I had a New York lawyer I was paying for too. And all that adds up. Um, and so, you know, my accounts are like, um, you might want to look at your bottom line. But when I knew I was making all this money, I kind of like, okay, all bills are being paid. Doesn't matter. Uh, but then I one day I really looked at it. I'm like, holy crap. I, I think my sister's like, I think you have like six months before you're really going to be in serious trouble. Wow. And I was like, holy crap. So I really looked at the book and like, almost had a heart attack. Um, but, you know, I'm not afraid to admit that I made a mistake. I'm not afraid to ask for help. So I actually reached out to, through someone, oh yes, through um, Russ Capper. He introduced me a lot. He actually has a pretty um, famous um, podcast and he interviewed like CEO of everything, like Shell, like he, big, big. Um, I talked to him about something and told him what was my situation. So he connected me with the Rice University um, master program where any business can go in and pitch their business to be a free consultation masterclass. So you would get five months of consultation on finance, on marketing, on anything that you need for free. And But you have to be super vulnerable because it is your baby and every business owner we can't do it all, and especially with numbers. Sometimes you just don't want to look at it. Right. It is scary. That's how, there's no lying when it comes to numbers. You know, like you can't fool yourself as much as you want to tweak it and move it around. And you're like, holy crap, this is. Um, so through them, um, they like Chloe. You got to like shut your store in half. Chloe, you can't take American Express because it takes too much money. <laughs> Chloe, you got to like. Don't even open at 10 a.m. Nobody comes in at 10 a.m. Open at 11. Um, and then already they're like, you need to change Lotte to Chloe Bell. Like you really just need to accept that you are a brand. So I kind of still didn't want to do it. Um, so I had, um, so one woman that I super admire in the city is Jennifer Witch. Do you know who she is? Yeah, Laura Mercier. 
Yes. Oh, hello. I'm so impressed. Most I, do my, I do my research. <laughs> she's legit. Like she's on the board of lazy. I mean, she is an icon, like in the business world. Um, so she and I, I was lucky enough to be grouped with her as like the 50 most successful woman in Houston, whatever. And so I'm like, oh, okay. So, so I um, email her, go, can I have dinner with you and just ask you for some advice? And I was super nervous, you know, because she's such a big deal in my mind. And she was like, oh, yeah, of course. So we had dinner and I asked her about changing my name because my rice team, a master program, was like, Chloe, you need to change from her name. And I was like, still resisting, still resisting. And she's like, Chloe, you're the w- few people in this city. When I mentioned Chloe Dow, people know who you are. Like anybody actually, I'm like, oh, they do. Okay. I'm still surprised to this day, but okay. So uh, I'd be stupid not to listen to Janet Gerwich. Um, so from that statement, I'm like, someone as powerful and smart as she is and had this many success, I need to listen to this lady. So I did um, change it to Chloe Dow, but then I ran into legal problem because Chloe, the brand Chloe, it's been around since like, gosh, the 40s, 50s. It's a big, 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 big brand. They, when I try to trademark my name, they fought against me. So Richmond, which is like they own, like they own Gucci, maybe not Gucci, but just imagine all the other big brand that you can think of. They own them. They're like the biggest, uh, besides LVMH, they're the other big, um, I forgot what's the word for them, but they own everybody. Um, so I'm like, and so my lawyer from New York said, Chloe, you're never going to win. They have endless amount of money and you don't. So that is why my business legally is Dow, Chloe, Dow. The, uh, the Dow always have to be bigger than Chloe. <laughs> I thought, who is going to not realize I'm not that Chloe? Come on. That Chloe has been around for like forever. And you know what? They were right. I had I was at jury duty and this lady came up to me and the judge had to recognize who I was. But this uh, one of the jury, um, I guess, mate also came up to me. She's like, I just bought your purse at Saks. I just love it so much. I just think you're the best. And I'm like, I'm like, oh, this is why they sue me. Or like, this is why they didn't want to trademark my, let me trademark my name. Um, so it happens a few times. We're like, oh, I just bought your stuff at Neiman's. I'm like, oh, that's not me. But but they were, um, somehow they overlooked, but I'm glad they're super overlooked. At my website, they allowed me to have ChloeDow.com. Because maybe because the Dow is connected. They didn't force me to do Dow, Chloe Dow. Anybody wants to check out the website is ChloeDow.com. But everything else on Instagram is Dow, Chloe Dow. So, you know, I'll make it sound. When we talk about the business, do we sit like, because we're, you know, as part of the Houston Rallies campaign, we're writing a feature story about you and we're doing um, banner ads and stuff. Are we referring to your business? This was something I was going to ask you via email, but since I've got you here now, are we referring to Chloe Dow? Just Chloe Dow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because, you know, they let me go with Chloe Dow. Right. right now they're like, eh, she's tiny. It's fine. We don't need to buy her anymore. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's interesting that you talked about, um, you know, re- reaching out to someone who you admired and, and just asking them to go to dinner. We, I feel like there's such a fear around that and thinking, I don't want to waste their time. I don't want to be presumptuous. 
and you know, when I was in, obviously I'm in advertising. When I was in college, um, there was this book, a really great book about advertising. It's called Hey Whipple, Squeeze This. And it's about, um, it's about advertising, but it's written by Luke Sullivan, who works at GSD or worked at that time at GSDNM in Austin, where I went to school. And so I just, I, I pulled up the website. I found their naming convention for their emails. And so I, I did Luke.Sullivan or whatever it was. I emailed him. I said, hey, I'd love to grab coffee with you. And he said, yes. And I was able to pick his brain. Um, and it's, all you have to do is ask. Yeah. It's scary, but yeah. I mean, even for me, when people sometimes meet me and they're like, eh, I'm like, I'm the most normal chick ever. You know, <laughs> I don't think I'm that intimidating. But then, you know, I guess. Maybe Laura Merchant and, you know, um, Janet Gertrude probably feel the same way. But I was like, <gasps> I mean, even at like almost 40, I was like, oh, my God, I'm so scared, you know. But you're right. You have to ask. You've got to pass that fear. Otherwise, you'll never get where you want to get. So let's talk a little bit about your time on Project Run- Runway. We talked about your audition process and we talked about how you made the dress that day. But what was it, you know, how, how long... How long were you on the show? I mean, I know you won, but what was that process like? Obviously, you're still trying to maintain a business while you're in this show. You said you couldn't talk about being a finalist for a long time. What was that like? I, You know what? I thought for me it was super fun because when we were filming, it was one month in New York City. No phone call allowed. Uh, actually, one phone call allowed. No cell phone, no newspaper, no magazine. You kind of It was kind of like the COVID <laughs> pandemic. <laughs> You have no idea what day it was. Um, so you live and breathe Project Runway. So literally, um, oops, sorry, you don't know what time it will um, come wake you up. You don't know what time they're going to let you go to sleep. You actually know that the, you can stop at midnight because that's when they, you know, you, you need to stop sewing. But even the walk back to the apartment hotel, you got to wait for them to go downstairs. By the time you go to bed, it's like 2 o'clock in the morning want to decompress you're like you know you might not sleep before and then you don't know what time they're going to wake you up you have no idea when they're going to come and let you go back in sometimes super early um for me i thought it's fun because people kind of realized i was 34 when i went on that show and i worked in new york for eight years already in the real industry so when i say real industry i work for that super high-end um market so the the store I was dealing with is Bertolt Goodman, Neiman Marcus, um, Joyce of Hong Kong, Savage. So the gowns, the gowns that we were retailing were five thousand, two thousand, super high end. And when you deal with super high end, you deal with real super high end clientele. So we would have Neiman Marcus come in and it would be like forty regional manager, and you just don't have any egos. They're like, we like that dress, but you need to change this, and you need to change this, and you need to change this. And you're like, oh, yeah, it's a $100,000 order. I'll change anything you want. You know, I have no ego. Um, so I think for me, and I think being 34, had my business for four years already, eight years in New York City, um, I was not super sensitive to judges when they're like, we don't like that or like that. Because um, a lot of contestants, like, oh, the judge was so mean. I'm like, uh, deal with the real buyers, you know? <laughs> this is nothing, y'all. Um, and I think I already, I already knew who I was the designer being in the industry for so long. It was hard, but it was really fun because I didn't, you know, you didn't have to worry about the bills. You didn't have to worry about food. All you had to do was design, you know? Um, so I had fun and I didn't have fun at all during 
the last, the when we had to come back to determine who wins or lose, because that was the only time where I felt, damn, man, they're really screwing with our heads because they made us do a 13 challenge. I don't know if you ever watched a season. I haven't. Okay. It's amazing. You need to watch season one and two. It's pretty epic. Okay. So, um, season, my season was the first season they really screwed with the contestants. Um, because we came to New York and people don't realize how little time we had to film everything. And so the day before our show in New York Fashion Week, which is a big deal, we're showing. I love that I was able to do with this because right now they don't even show it during the fashion calendar. I feel bad for the designers in this like recent season. We literally were showing when the New York Fashion Week was so really iconic and it was a big, big deal and the biggest tent they had too. Um, so to be able to show New York Fashion Week is already a big deal, but then they threw a challenge the day before showing New York freaking Fashion Week. And like we still had 14 garments to make. We still had to film the model casting. We still had to film the reunion show. And now we got to go freaking make another garment and go shopping and do another garment. I'm like, how the hell are we going to do all this? You know? Um, but you know what? The beauty of television is we did it. We didn't get any sleep, but we did it. And we just thought, okay, now you're really screwing with us. And I, I, this is the behind the scenes story that most people don't know. Um, so the producer, thank you, Rich Vaughn. I will shout out to you. He actually came up to us and apologized. He said, this was not my idea. I know this is important for you guys to, you know, this is an important moment in your life. And to put this challenge on top of everything else that we need to do, you know, he felt so bad for us. But anyway, but I have to say it made amazing, uh, amazing television. And that challenge made me a lot of money because I made that dress and I actually made made that dress after I won and I saw a million version of that damn dress. So I call it my 13 challenge. So thank you for making me do the 13 challenge. And it also made me realize, you know, you can push yourself, mind, mind and physical so much further than you think you can when you have to do it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's great. And it's such a finite amount of time. So the reward for being on Project Runway vastly outweighs all of the headache of doing all of this stuff. So it's like, I'm just going to buckle down and do it. And then obviously you've benefited well from it after that. So it was worth the struggle. Yeah. Never ending award for Project Runway winning Project Runway. I mean, it's amazing how long it has lasted. Like it's still going on. So, you know, I, I'm super lucky to be in the, you know, in the world Project Runway and be one of the alumni. So also throughout your career, you, you've done collections for really big brands. You just mentioned something you did for Barbie, for with Dove. Um, you worked with QVC for two years. Um, this is a two-part question. One, talk a little bit about the, the collections you did for, for Barbie and Dove and, and QVC. And two, talk through your process of how do you come up with a collection? I know you describe your style as contemporary classic, but how do you... What's what's the process like of when if Barbie approaches you and says, "Hey, we have this idea." How do you come up with the final product? Well, for Barbie, I didn't have to come up with a collection. I was actually one of their mentees, um, oh, able to fly to El Paso and do events for them. Um, so, Barbie, you ever want to do an Asian short ball dolls? Go for it. Hello. Um, but for Barbie, it was just amazing to be part of their, you know, because it was their 100th anniversary. 
campaign last year. And so they were doing all this like very accomplished, you know, diverse um, role models. So I was actually one of their role models that, you know, that they were telling stories about and us sharing their stories and stuff. So for Barbie, that was great. Yeah, so be like selected. I'm like, oh, I will fly anywhere, honey. Let's go. Sure. Yeah. Um, for the, you know, QVC is probably the most, um, I think for me, amazing thing that I did without realizing how amazing it was. Um, because it's in 90 million households. Wow. Yeah. So you don't get all this information until you're in it and then you get this for sure how big this thing is. It actually sells, um, the amount of stuff they sell is right behind Walmart. Wow. Yes. It's insanity. Yeah. Um, so to do a, co a collection for QVC, and I think I did for almost two to three years. I can't remember. This old memory is going away. And I didn't realize how amazing it is to even last that long. Because I have, I've seen other Project One Way alumni do QVC. Um, it was interesting. One of the last all-star winning, uh, all-star Project One Way, the prize was to have their collection on QVC. Mm -hmm. I asked me, like, Chloe, why don't you do all-star? I'm like, ah, I already did it for two years. <laughs> you know, like, I don't need that prize. Um, yeah. but I want the half a million dollar. Shoot. But um, so working with QVC is probably the biggest thing I did and the learning curve. Because um, when they brought me in, they wanted something. Uh, I was supposed to bring in the younger clientele because they had Bob Mackie, they had uh, Luzo Delio, which is really iconic fashion designer, but they were definitely um, gearing towards the older clientele. I was supposed to come in and bring in the younger clientele. Um, and I did actually. So it was, but you have to design from extra small to 3X. That one top has to look good on. Double size zero and up to size, I think, even 28. So I learned a lot. And then you also have to be a well-spoken person. Because you have to go on air and sell the stuff. And I was fortunate enough to do one-hour show. So just imagine you have to speak for an hour live television. And in your ear and in front of you is a monitor how many stuff is being sold. And so when things are not selling, there's a producer in your ear saying, Hey, Chloe, talk about something else. So thank God I was never had, I never had that, but I heard horror stories. Um, so I learned a lot from working of, in that environment. Um, and it was really quite rewarding because I still get email from, you know, the best part is I get to dress everybody in America. And that that is not every designer um, ability to do. Um, so hopefully I will get back to doing QVC, but you have to be very thoughtful. So how the process work is the buyer would come in and it almost felt like, honestly, like project runway all over again, because with QVC buyer, they have probably 16 designers they're always working with. And sometimes we're always doing the same trend. And so sometimes I'll be showing them stuff and I'm like, oh, I already bought it from Mark Bow. Oh, I already bought it from, I'm like, can we be, please? Like, can you schedule me for 8 a.m. meeting versus 3 p.m.? Um, <laughs> so I learned what not to do, but also you have to like make your style contemporary. So I, I learned a lot. And then price point, like my manufacturer, like Chloe, I cannot do that detail because on QVC it's uh, quality and value. And so you have to be super careful. Thank God I'm a very strong technical designer. I can take certain elements. Um, I actually did this, um, public speaking kind of like campaign for a PBS called Do the Math. And it was about learning math, how fashion relates to math. And it's all about cutting costs and price. 
So you actually had to do a lot of that with QVC. I, I learned a lot. I learned how to speak well on television, um, you know, be funny and take insult at the same time because QVC commercials are vicious, ladies, but they're funny at the same time. But yeah. Well, I hope I answered your question. I was all over. No, you did. You did. That was that was great. I mean, I, I want I wanted to talk about your time on QVC, and I, I just was curious. I obviously, I mean, you see me. This is a podcast, so people won't be able to see this. But I'm wearing a t-shirt and a baseball cap. So obviously, fashion is not my forte. No, uh, every. You know what? Fashion is everybody's forte. It really is. You guys might not think, but you you probably took a long time to pick out that cap. You probably took a long time <laughs> to pick that t-shirt. You know what I mean? Guys are much more picky than I want to admit. Like, like I need a black t-shirt, but it gotta be like this kind of cut. <laughs> this kind of band. <laughs> let me let me tell you about this hat. I found a hat at Academy that fit my giant head, and then I went on Amazon.com and typed in that brand and bought five different colors. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what happened. Um I love so it. <laughs> we would be remiss if we didn't talk about the whole reason why we got connected was which is this this Houston rallies campaign and your work that you did during the pandemic? So talk about talk about what happened right when the pandemic hit, and and talk about what you what you did and what you're doing and how that's how that's been going. Yeah, so we had to close. I announced I was going to close my store on March 17th, and so on March 18th, I did a I uploaded a video on Instagram because I haven't closed my store in 20 years, and to me, I kind of didn't know how to feel. But I knew that I needed to help my community. Um, and I just like, and I was listening to NPR because I'm an NPR listener and how they were in Taiwan, they were controlling the pandemic. Like, and being Asian too, it's our culture to wear masks all the time anyway. And I'm not that Asian girl that wear masks. There's like, you know, I'm as Americanized as you can get. Um, and so, but I thought, you know what? I feel like everybody needs masks just because of that the podcast I listened to. And so I uploaded on March 18th on, on my Instagram video saying, hey, I'm going to give four free masks per household. I'm not going to profit from it. I just think it's something I want to do for community. If you need it, just DM us, Facebook us, call the store. And literally once that was posted, it was an avalanche of requests. Um, and at this time, and honestly, when we decided to close the store, just to backtrack a little bit, I told my staff, hey, you guys, I don't want you guys not to work. I think I have enough fundings where I can literally pay you guys still to work for six weeks. And so let me figure out what we're going to do. You know, we have some, you know, as a small business owner, we're always doing stuff where you're like, holy crap, let's do this later. So I thought, okay, we'll have apps that we can do now. But once we posted that thing, insanity, they all became, you know, switchboard operator. One was on the phone, one was on Facebook, one was on Instagram, one was on email. So we got so many requests and it was really, it was great. But also you realize, oh my God, this lack of mass is real. This need for mass was real. And it was a lot of like, you know, my, um, I'm a cancer patient. I need to go see the doctor. I have low autoimmune system. I'm a caretaker. Um, a few started going, coming from the medical community where my husband is the doctor. If he doesn't need it, I will wear it. I'm a nurse. And then two weeks in where we realized this is where and then all the medical community really was in dire need. So we posted that we're switching to no, no more public lists. We're just putting you guys on hold, but keep on sending to us. We're going to focus on the medical community and just start giving them masks. Um, 
And two weeks in, I was literally just doing it. Every, you know, I pretty much was paying for everything. I was paying for my staff to do it. Um, I was cutting. I w- I've never worked so much in my life. And actually, um, payroll was two weeks in. And I really wasn't going to, like, sell any masks. But a client emailed me. And she's like, and at this time, we're asking for donations. Please support us so we can continue to do this. Whatever you can donate. It was $10 increments. Like, donate $10. Great. Um, and then a client said, I want to donate, but I want to be guaranteed a mask. But you should stop selling a mask, Chloe. I'm like, oh, that seems so wrong to sell masks when we're donating masks. You know, that doesn't seem right. But, um, but my staff is like, hmm, Chloe, you need to stop selling masks because, you know, and, and payroll was coming up. Let's just be honest. Payroll and rent was coming up. And I already paid rent for March because we had to close March 18th. Um, so I thought, okay, I literally didn't even make the mask yet. I just uploaded eight swatches and say, hey, you guys, I'm going to start making masks. Pick out which fabric. This are actually designer fabric that I was never intended for masks. This would be for gown and control even wore dresses. Pick which one I should make from. And people are like, this one, this one. I want it. I want it. I want it. I'm like, holy crap. Like, this could be a real business. And through that, so I, you know, so I put on Facebook, like, be patient, people. We are literally making donation masks, and we are making selling masks at the same time. You know what that is? And the, by this time, um, we were had to be shelved at home. So now all my staff that was sewn with me at the design studio could sew with me at the design studio. Um, so I became a professional cutter, like literally my husband and I did. And got a cutting machine. Um, and then they just came to pick up stuff. But thank God my other sewer who were afraid to come to work at all and then normally work at home, didn't even want to work for a while because, you know, we didn't know how to feel for a while. What do you do? They wanted to work. And so I think because we were getting so many orders and we were still donating so much, I was fortunate enough to actually hire some more additional staff to cover the order, which I felt so proud of. All of them had no work from their other jobs, you know. Um, so just to give them some kind of like income, that was amazing. Um, then I was able to work with another laser cut business because of my antibacterial need cream mask and they had to be special laser cut because of the hole. And I love that I was able to give him work because he was like, there's no other work out there. And he was super smart. He just called and say, Hey, I have a laser cut machine. I know Chloe is making masks. I never knew who that, that business even existed, but I've been working with him now for like a whole month and a half. And so and now we have donated around 4,000 masks, really just small group of us dealing with it. I mean, that is a business itself. Like, you yeah. realize to make a mask, it's more work than you think. Somebody got to cut it. You got to buy the elastic. You got to cut all the thread out. You got to package it. Right. And you got to email people that we got your mask. Like, we were being very, really crazy. We're like, what size do you want? Small, medium, medium, large? I'm like, why do you like, give those people options? Uh, we did. <laughs> like why? I mean, there you know there were moments where we're like, I need a hundred masks, and we were literally giving a hundred masks per company, and we're like, this is getting insane. I, 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 you know, I don't know, we can keep this up, but we were lucky enough to keep it up. And then when someone could afford it, we did go. If you can like, you know, do two dollars or four dollars a mask, that's just cover our costs because the sewing mm-hmm. mask is three dollars per mask because I paid, you know, like that's like. And not including fabric or any staff time. This is just barely covering the cost. 
Right. We were enough to have maybe three people cover that cost, but the rest has always been it's been completely donated. And we had some fabric um, donation. We had some sewer finally coming in, volunteer sewer. Um, but I didn't utilize them that much because it was, you know, they were great, but also I'm like, okay, I wasn't rushing them, but sometimes you need this mask, you know, to, right. but we were lucky. We gave to Texas Children's Hospital, Ronald McDonald, um, gosh, Hope Clinic, RBJ Hospital, Methodist, a lot to Methodist. And we are still donating masks. Um, but I think um, we're waiting. Now we're doing to like the women's shelter. And then we might start sending to women's prisons that they're only asking for white masks. So I'm waiting for more fabric. Um, and fabric is actually the hardest thing to find right now. It's supplies. It's like, yeah, I actually had to ship 300. I had to pay $300 for overnight elastic from Vietnam. You could not find it in America. At that time, elastic was sold out everywhere. In New York, my normal vendor, it was, they were complete shut down. Like all my vendor, I emailed, they're like, we can't go in our office. Like he just, LA, it took a month and they didn't even pick up their phone call. So I was like, so yeah, I had to go overseas to get some supplies. But yes, super grateful I was able to do that. And, you know, business now, we are really surviving because we're selling masks. We're selling an amazing mask that I'm super proud of. Um, so when I was transitioning, I mean, if any advice from small business owner is that, you know, even during this craziness of making masks, I had to already think ahead. How, because as a business owner in the retail industry, I'm also a buyer. I'm a fashion designer. We make stuff locally in Houston, but I'm also a buyer. I get to go to trade shows. I get to mix it in and out. And when I logged in, maybe April something into a wholesale website, I was like, holy crap, all this fashion vendor that I used to buy from are selling masks. We're selling scary, all this N95 masks. And I felt, it felt so wrong because this was on air where like, please don't buy medical masks. It's for the medical community. Um, but I saw the writing was on the wall where even they realized for them to survive, they have to sell masks. Like, they just have to transition over. Um, and so I realized, okay, eventually this whole, every retail is going to end selling masks. And so how do I stand out and how do my masks be different? Um, so that's why, you know, I did my research and I found this antibacterial, waterproof, UVA, UA protected, breathable fabric, all the way from South Korea that took a month to get. I was seriously looking how much money I can invest. Like, can I really do this? Am I that going to be any that different? I even bought some that was saying the same, toting the same um, benefits um, from a wholesale. It was super thin before I bought this fabric. So now we have this amazing product that I still don't think. I, I Google. I got all my stuff to Google to see if anybody has the same thing that I have. So I think you just have to really be ahead of the game. And so far, we've been super fortunate that we had that. And now we are actually having more clientele male than we ever had before. Yeah. We have mass and gray, wacky. <laughs> I would call blush. What a guy like skin tone. I don't know. <laughs> What's a masculine name for blush? But anyway, black, black stripe. Yeah. Um, and we're having, you know, guys, guys come in all the time for our mask now, which is great. Um, so what's next for you? What's next for your boutique? What's next for you? How, how, what's, what's in the future? 
I'm I'm really glad you're asking that because so next for me it's something that I've always wanted to do, but being a business owner, I never have time. And it's something that's been percolating for a long time. So we were already in the midst of revamping a website. So it forced us to because of the pandemic. We've never really sold that much online because we've always been a brick and mortar store and we try and we try and we try, but we fail and we fail and we fail. But the pandemic realized made us, we made so many sales because online. Thank God we have a website that we're like, holy crap, we actually have people who trust us to buy online now. Thank God. So we do not want to lose that audience. So we have revamped our website already. Um, we're doing everything to make it much more friendly. We're getting reviews on it. We realize how important review is. And the other step of the, and you probably know this, you, probably, you, you know, you can probably teach me to do this better, is storytelling. So I know I'm committed that I'm a brand. I actually have a lot of expertise that I can share. Um, I have a series on my IPTV called The Daily Download. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah, I don't keep up with it, but I know I have to do more of it. Um, I'm quite inquisitive and I love asking people questions. So we're probably going to do something, you know, conversation with Chloe or something. Things that just more connecting to my community. Um, all the things that, you know, a lot of the, you know, I need to share my story more and my expertise more. You know, anything to sell online is to sell trust and to sell, they have to trust you. And I already have that with my with my clientele one-on-one because they trust me. I literally have dressed my clients since they were 13 to 33. Because I'm for 22 years. I'm 20 years. Lord, I'm dating myself more. Um, but now I need to convey that into my website. Like they need to get as much as the Chloe out in-person experience with my team and I, but on the website. And so we are doing, We now we close on Monday officially so that we can just develop content. It's just video content. Like, you know, I will now, even when I feel fat, try to do a video. If I feel pretty, you know, like, you know, no girls might see themselves and edit themselves, but I'm going to suck it up and I'm going to do it. Yeah, I think that's great. And that's, and that's, it, that, that's what Houston Rally started as, right? When, when we're in the middle of this pandemic, when things are shutting down and when budgets are tight, advertising is the first thing to go. And so, we found ourselves with a little bit more time on our hands. And I mean, you know, we haven't updated our lead group website in years. And there's all of these things that paying client work always comes first. So one of the benefits of this pandemic has been we've finally been able to uh, concept, develop, launch a campaign where we are promoting what we do best and that's storytelling. And so, so we're telling the story of other people's businesses like yours and others. And it's, it's on the one hand, a little sad that it needs a worldwide shutdown for us to realize that. But on the other hand, that's something that not only us and you, and I hope other businesses realize is your business and your story is important. So you have to get that out there and you have to make time for it. Um, and so as things start to get back to normal, I hope that people, you know, take a page out of your book. And 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 I love the idea of not being open on Monday to focus on doing content, because I think it's easy to get in the trap of thinking if we're not open on Monday, that means we don't get X amount of sales, which translates to this. But if you don't have that content, you're not building your brand. Totally agree. I don't think any business will survive without a website and connecting to a community. Um, 
So I already told my, you know, I told my team, we actually had just had a meeting this morning where it was all about content building, how we can make our website better. And I said, look, the next two years, it, we're going to concentrate and grow in the business, like online. Like you guys have to all commit. We're all going to be on camera. Like all of you guys, even now, even last year when I started hiring new people, I said, you have to be okay being my Instagram model. And my, like, this is part of your job. I mean, as much as I don't like it, I realize oh, I'm just going to have to do it. But even on Monday, you know, you'll people, I'm sorry, people, but you're going to see more of me. Well, this has been a ton of fun. I've loved talking with you. I had I had a, a great time talking about your your history and the projects you've worked on and your business. And um, if people want to find you, they can go to ChloeDow.com. Yes. So please go to ChloeDow.com. But on uh, Instagram, I'm Dow, Chloe Dow. Um, but yeah, I would love you guys just, you know, hopefully what we love to do at the store is to you really, through fashion, educate, elevate and empower you guys just to like feel better about yourself. And when you find the right outfit, that's all you need to do to feel better about yourself. And that's what we try to do. Well, Chloe, thank you so much for being on this podcast today. Hopefully you had a good time doing it. I had a great time. I had a fun yeah. time. And uh, you know, I can talk about myself all day long. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you, you did great. We had, a, we, I had an awesome time. So thank you so much for being here today. It's super fun. My name is Mark. Um, I'm with the Lee Group. This is Houston Rallies. If you are a small business or if you have any, um, if you want to be a part of the campaign or learn more, go to HoustonRallies.com and uh, check us out. Are you a local small business owner looking for some help connecting with potential customers? Is there a specific topic you'd love to hear more about? Visit our website at HoustonRallies.com and click Join the Movement. Fill out the form. We'd love to hear from you. We invite you to subscribe to this podcast and your favorite podcast platform. Thanks for listening. And remember, we are strong. We are resilient. We are Houston.